Let us turn now to the Lord in prayer. Our great God, we give you praise. The salvation belongs to you. We thank you for your blessing that you do pour out upon your people. We thank you that salvation is is not a ladder that we climb. It's not a hill that we must journey up to. That it is not a, a wage that we must earn. Something that we must prove to you that we are worthy of. Salvation belongs to you. Your free grace, your choosing us, your deciding that we would know you and, and nothing can interfere with that. Satan cannot snatch us from you. The world cannot pull us away from you. Not even the, the weaknesses, the frailties of our body can pull us away from the salvation that belongs to you. We thank you that we may rest in that. We may have that assurance. We do not need to to fear the flames. We do not need to to fear the floods that go through our lives, worrying if we have enough strength to cross that river, wondering if we are strong enough, brave enough to endure whatever flames comes our way, that we can hold on to your promises. You have said that the flames will not burn us. You have said that the floods would not overwhelm us. What more do we need to know? What greater anchor can we have? What greater trust? What greater refuge can we have than you and your word given to us? So we thank you that we come each Lord's Day not to try to remind you to to be forgiving and to overlook our sins, but to come and to hear you say to us, we belong to you, that you hold on to us, that you are our God. We do confess before you that we do nevertheless sin. And we have broken the, the commandments of your covenant. We've oftentimes lived as though we do not even know Christ. We have taken matters into our own hands. We have even lied. We have deceived others. We have stolen. We have even murdered in our hearts by our hatred and anger against others. We, we have broken your commandments. And all the more, we give you thanks for this word of yours. We belong to you. And we know that... We belong to you because of Jesus Christ. That he has won that victory for us on the cross. That he has spoken to us. That he is the word of life. That he is the bread of life. That he is the the water of life. And your Holy Spirit has given us the ears to hear, to repent, to believe, and to hold on to that. Again, salvation is yours, and we rejoice that it belongs to you. It is in that knowledge and confidence we come before you, knowing that we come before the mercy seat of God and that our Father hears us. And we lift before you our petitions. We pray yet again and again for this world in which you have placed us, in which there is much beauty and much delight, and there is much ugliness, 
much pain and sorrow, much hatred. We pray for a world that does not acknowledge you as its creator, that nevertheless that you would give a measure of your peace and order, blessing by your Holy Spirit, particularly that you would spread forth your special grace of salvation. There will be many others to come and know this salvation that belongs to you. Whether they be on the other part of the world from us, no one is away on an, far away from you. Whatever culture they may be, whatever speech, whatever tongue they, they may possess, whatever their background, we pray that they may turn to know Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior. As we pray for those who are near us, even here in this community, in our very homes, in our neighborhoods. One is far away from you. It matters not where they live in this world. They are far away. When they are near you, it does not matter where they live. They are near you. Our Father, we pray for our own needs. As always, you, you know what is going on in our lives. Many of us have physical ailments, some that are chronic, some that are very serious, and we look to you to sustain us, to uphold us, uh, that we might remain strong in the faith and be a testimony to you. We pray for healing. We pray for recovering. But all the more to keep our eyes upon our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for those who are going in through troubles and might be in their homes or in the workplace. Uh, there may be, there, we all have our fears. And we pray that we would find our peace and the peace of Jesus Christ who has reconciled us to you. And then you know the very needs right now. We pray that you would feed us. Feed us with your word. Feed us with the the very songs that we have sung that testify to your word. Feed us with the fellowship of, of being in this sanctuary together with our brothers and sisters so that we may go forth stronger in our faith, all the more able to live for your glory and for your honor. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, our scripture reading, we're continuing along in that passage in Colossians, and we're in verse 16, which you'll find in your bulletin. And then in the church Bibles, if you turn to page 834, you'll find Colossians chapter 3. And then as I have been doing, uh, though we're looking only at one verse, I want to read the full context of chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And then the verse we'll be looking at this morning. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, 
teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray again. Father, as we open this word, open our minds, that we might understand it, and open our hearts, that, we might, that our hearts might be examined by your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we've been moving along in our passage that I've just read, we've learned a number of things so far. We've learned how to dress appropriately uh, in church for the body of Christ. We've learned how to put on one particular article that will make sure everything matches. We've learned what we are to being ruled by, what's to kind of guide us and be our umpire through, through life. And our verse this morning teaches what should be dwelling inside of us so that we can wear the right clothing and attain the rule of peace. We're not going to be able to do those other things until we get this part done right. So again, let me just read verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, if you were here last Sunday, or just you may just notice right now how this verse parallels with the opening of verse 15. Verse 15, it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And now we're reading how we're to let the word of Christ dwell in us. So we're going to consider, first of all, this phrase, word of Christ. What does that mean? This is actually the only time that this phrase appears in the New Testament, I believe. Certainly in all of Paul's writings. Now, perhaps because he wrote the peace of Christ, that made him think about the, the word of Christ. Now, whatever the case, it is clear what Paul means when he says the word of Christ. He means the gospel. That's what he's already talked about earlier in his letter. In the first chapter, in verse 5, he writes this. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. Then later on in verse 23, he speaks the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. That's what I, Paul, do. I go around and I proclaim the word of Christ. I proclaim the gospel. So Paul's calling was to take and he was to proclaim this gospel into regions where it had never been carried before and particularly to the Gentiles. In fact, he he speaks of himself that God had gave him the the role of being a steward of the mystery that had had been hidden throughout all ages. And what was this mystery? That you and I, Gentiles should receive this gospel. So by word of Christ, Paul means the gospel, and he means it in its very simplest form. He means it uh, as well in in its fullest expression. And he crystallizes it in, in at least a couple of other places. Let me read them to you. One is Romans 3, 22 through 25. This would be a good definition of the gospel. There is no distinction 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. We're condemned. God the Father has provided Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us. We receive that by faith. And we are now reconciled to God. Paul puts it even in a shorter way. Just talking about his own ministry in 1 Corinthians 1.23. We preach Christ crucified. That's it. Or he says specifically, he actually defines the gospel later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Christ died for our sins. He just said earlier, okay, You remember the gospel I preached to you. Here it is. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised. This is it. This is what you hold on to. Christ has died. Christ has risen. He has died to save us from our sins by offering his life as a sacrifice. It's not complicated. And we know that he achieved this mission. Why? Because of his rising from the dead. We know that he pleased God. And because he rose from the dead, we know that we who believe in him, we will also rise. That is the simple gospel. But the gospel is not a mere formula that gets us into heaven. You know, we just get that little bit down and now we can kind of go on our way. When Paul uses this term, the word of Christ, he's also wanting us to think about the full word, the full scriptures. And the point is this, is that what he's saying is that the Bible, the scriptures, the, the, the word of God is to be understood through the gospel. All of scripture points to and centers around the gospel work, the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's how you understand it. So from Genesis to Malachi, the revelation of God's word foreshadows. It looks to, it, it explains, it, it builds up to the appearance of Jesus Christ and his work of redemption. And then the New Testament, that's a testimony of how the Old Testament has been fulfilled in and by Jesus Christ. And so again, the word of Christ, it's a simple gospel but it is also has the full implication and the full explanation of what the gospel is about, how it's going to impact our lives, what God has been doing from beginning of time, what God will do uh, to, I can't say the end of time, but into eternity. So now, Paul is saying this word of Christ, it's to dwell richly in the Colossians, the church there. And the word of Christ is to make its home in their hearts and their minds. It's not not to be kept in a library, you know, that you you go to, you have somewhere upstairs or some far part of the house, and you pull out the book every now and then. It's not to be a visitor in their homes. You know, maybe it makes a weekly visit or maybe a daily short visit. It doesn't want to bother you, and so it steps out pretty quickly. No, it moves in. And it's not satisfied with an in-law suite. It wants access 
to every room in the house. Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 through 9, gives a good understanding of what the place of Scripture is to be. This is a very significant passage in the life for all Jews. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. You remember Jesus quoting this. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. There's not much point, not very many minutes in the day in which the word of God is not being dwelling in you and you're thinking about it. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And there, there are some Jews who, who wear a little piece of the word right here in front of their, um, their foreheads, literally fulfilling this. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. The word is to be everywhere. So both passages, the one in Colossians and the one I just read in Deuteronomy, they're expressing the same sentiment. Scripture is not to be regarded as a you know, as an interesting book. And maybe it's helpful, you know, you pull it out every now and then and maybe for to help you out with something. No, it's to, to be integrated into our lives. And Paul's point is that the Word of God is about the Word of Christ. The Gospel is not one of several interesting topics in the Scriptures. All of Scripture, all of it, is written to promote, to explain, to point us to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, in the next phrase, reminds us that we're still in the context of the church. That's what this whole passage is about. It's good. We ought to have private devotions. We ought to privately be studying the word of Christ. That's great. But it's essential is a dwelling of the, of the word of Christ just to us individually, all the more so it is to be dwelling among the believers in the church. And so he says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Now, simply put, he's, he's saying this, we have responsibility to teach one another. We have the responsibility to admonish one another with the word of Christ. What's the difference between teaching and admonishing? Well, I am doing both as I preach. Right now, I'm teaching. I am teaching what this verse means. What does Paul mean by the word of Christ? What does he mean by the word dwelling in us? A little bit later on, after I complete this teaching part, I'll move to admonishing. And that simply means applying the teaching to you. I mean, we, we... typically think of that word admonishing means I'm going to wag my finger at you. No, it means just applying the word to our lives. Okay? Now, hopefully, I will teach and I will admonish in all wisdom, which is what Paul is saying here, meaning this. I will accurately interpret the meaning of the text. I'm not going to take it out of context and apply it in a way that it was not meant to be. I will... Uh, Apply it to not just simply in a way that I think you would like to receive it, but what the scripture 
what it wants you to know or what the Holy Spirit wants you to know. That is the standard for a sermon that is supposed to be well preached before the Lord. And it is the standard that all of us are to have as we teach and admonish to one another with the word. Now, in the second half of this verse, I think is the most intriguing. Okay, he's, he's telling us we're to teach and be admonishing one another in all wisdom. And then he says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This is what he's getting to. He says, yeah, we're, you know, take the word of Christ. It needs to be dwelling in everyone. You need to be teaching and admonishing. And you do it by singing. Was Paul a choir director? Did he, you know, I mean, did he, was in a church and a choir director wanting to put in a a few words about that or not? I, I don't know. He says the same thing in his letter to the Ephesians. Uh, There in uh, chapter uh, 4, verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And then that's it. He makes a brief note in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, when he's talking to the Corinthians about their worship, and he says, each of you will bring a word and and you'll bring a hymn. And that's it. No more about... um, how we're to be doing singing in the church. Um, Our verse is the only one that specifically says what singing is supposed to accomplish in worship. And that's probably the, the context here. Paul's talking about what should be going on when you've gathered together for worship. And he, it's twofold, or rather it's, it's two directional. One thing we're to teach and we're to admonish one another the other is we're to express thankfulness and praise to God. Okay. Now, in regard to one another, again, we're to teach, we're to admonish. The psalms, the hymns, the spiritual songs that we choose ought to increase our understanding of the word of Christ, of the gospel in particular, and really of all of scripture. They should admonish us. That is, they should lead us to apply the teachings of the gospel and all of scriptures to our lives. They should comfort us with the gospel. They should warn us of going astray. They should biblically encourage us. They they ought to lift up our spirits. They should biblically guide us. They must be leading us to Jesus Christ and to the cross. Songs can lift our spirits. They can comfort us. They can motivate us and they can instruct us. They can do these things effectively because of the power of music to move our hearts. You know that. You know, you listen to music and whatever those words are telling you, you're ready to go do and whatever it is. All the more important then that the word of Christ needs to be what we are communicating to each other. And if we're doing this rightly, We're building up the body of Christ. We're aiding this peace of Christ to rule. If we do it wrongly, then we will lead to a false understanding of the gospel and of his work. Uh, Songs can lead us to Christ. They can lead us away from Christ. And then there's that second part of singing with thankfulness to God. And the word for thankfulness is actually not the same word that's used in verse 15. 
where it speaks of thanksgiving. It's a different Greek word altogether. It's the Greek word charis. It's where we get the word grace. And indeed, if you've got the NIV, if you're reading, following along in that, you'll notice it, it doesn't say thankfulness. It says it uses the word gratitude. And, and so what's being brought out is a little bit of a difference here is that the singers are singing out of awareness of God's grace to us. They're not merely thanking God for being good and what a beautiful day and we want to thank you for, you know, for this and, and for that. They, they are aware that God is pouring grace back into their, li- into their lives and they want to express it back to God in appreciation and gratitude and thankfulness. They recognize the peace of Christ, that he has reconciled them to God and they are filled with thankfulness for them. Now, you may have noticed one thing here, particularly those of you, you know, you, you really are Bible study folks. You may have noticed I skipped something, that I did not comment on those three musical terms. What's a psalm? Well, we pretty much have a good idea what a psalm is. And what's a hymn? What's a spiritual song? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Not with confidence. I mean, I've read the commentators, and I haven't read any who who can say themselves with certainty, well, we know this means that, we know that means that, and maybe it's this, and there's some kind of overlapping. I don't know. Paul writes as though his readers do know, and I, I suppose they did. Um, but here's what I do know. is that whatever the distinctives may be, they're actually not germane to the point of this verse. What the verse is about is that we are to use the singing of such songs, whatever they may be, to teach, to admonish one another in the word of Christ through the scriptures. All right, that's the teaching part. That's what the verse is all about. Now, let's do the admonishing part about lessons. I was telling my wife, I'm really having a difficult time with this, not because it's hard to figure anything out, but I, I can think of pages and pages of lessons which I don't think that you want me to do. So I'm going to limit myself to about three. Look, first of all, back to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Just one of many things, just from that phrase, expose yourself daily to Scripture. Now, for some of you, this is no problem at all. You're avid Bible students. You love getting into the Word, and you've got your own little library, and you just read and you study. No problem. Now, others of you are not such big readers. Some of you might even be intimidated to open up the Bible and you, I don't know, you open it up to Numbers or Leviticus because you just did like that, and now you're really intimidated and can't make sense of it. Well, whatever your ability, do this. Continue to let Scripture, let the gospel message, let it dwell in you in a simple way. Look, just about most of you, when you wake up in the morning, you either... Turn on the TV for the news or the weather, or you turn on your computer. Well, make it a simple habit to include exposing yourself to Scripture. It could be a brief devotion that you read on that computer. You might go to a particular site. There are many good sites and read a daily devotion. Or there are sites, they'll, they'll email them to you every day. Many people like to post... Um, 
you know, positive quotes, like on your refrigerators, you've got it framed on the wall, or just other places, and, um, well, make the quotes Bible quotes. Okay? I mean, I, I see quotes all the time about how great I am. And if I would just realize just how, what a beautiful person I am and just believe in myself and, boy, it would just do so much more for me to read how great is my God and what he is doing in me. Put those kind of quotes on your refrigerators or, or wherever it is that you will see them. He has done much for you. Just give those daily doses. Well, you say, well, you know, again, I, I'm just not a reader. I, no, I don't put up quotes and stuff. Well, listen to Scripture. You've got the modern technology of, of CDs. You are in your house, and you can listen to the Scriptures read. You can watch videos of, of Christian teachers, like you do in the home fellowship groups. So you can listen to recorded sermons. And you, you could go to sermonaudio.com, and they've got this great young guy. Last name is Clark. He's got a lot of sermons on there that you could listen to. So just as you take, you take daily vitamins and pills and you then take little daily dosages of Scripture, even if it's only a verse or two. The smallest amount goes a long way. The Word of God is powerful, and especially when taken daily, and especially if you just give a thought or two to that verse throughout the day. You know, again, just like vitamins, you... You believe that those vitamins are taking care of your health. You don't really feel it. In the same way, you read small dosages of Scripture, and you may not feel it at the moment, but it's working its way in you. Don't, don't fall for the line that actually a lot of Christians believe, which is this. We, you know, Scripture reading is only as valuable, devotions are only as valuable as, as you're feeling it in the moment. And if you're feeling dry, well, then it was a wasted devotion or a wasted reading of a verse. No, it's going in you and uh, it is planting seeds in you and it will come back and bless you at times when you're not expecting it. And if you just keep doing these dosages, you'll find your hunger growing more and more for the word. But again, you've got to be exposed to the word. You know, most of you, again, I say this, I know this, most of you will not let a day go by without exposing yourself to the news. That's a major reason why you find yourself oftentimes anxious and angry and kind of grumpy. Well, don't let a day go by that you don't expose yourself to the good news of Christ's salvation, that God is in control. That's what you need to be getting inside of you. Now, number two. And this is that section of teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Daily share scripture with others. Now, it's easier than you think with all of our modern technology. Many of you, you, you receive and you send emails every day. Well, add a scripture verse to your email. I get emails from folks, and you'll see down at the bottom an inspirational quote from somebody. Why can it not be? A scripture verse. Why can you not have a friend, someone whom you say, let's send a scripture to one another each day? It's not much work to it. You have friends, family you talk to on the phone. Agree with one of them that you'll say, here's the verse that I read today. If you're married, 
Make an agreement with your spouse to share, you know, just one verse. One verse in the morning or maybe in the evening. It's always good to do devotions together, but the main point is this. Just do something regularly. We need to hear the word of God. And everyone we come in contact with, I can tell you this, they need to hear the word of God. Share a biblical teaching that you read or or pass on a sermon to others. You know, I I go to Facebook. I'm always seeing these quotes, these positive quotes. The day, this is one of them, the day is what you make of it. So why not make it a great one? Okay? That's That's a good thing to say. But more meaningful to me is, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Okay, now I'm ready to face the day. Okay. A friend comes to you or a family member, and it's another context. They need counsel, encouragement. They can go to you. They can trust you. And what do you often do? You share from your own experience. That's great. That's, you need to. I mean, why get older if you don't have good experience and some wisdom uh, to give? But you can even do more for them when you say, here, let me read to you something that I read, something that spoke to me, and you turn them to the Word of God. You might say, well, how will I know? Well, if you've been reading a verse or two a day, the Lord will bring back to your mind that passage, that verse to you. All right, and then the third one. Sing in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Look for scripture. This is how you evaluate good, well, not music, good songs. Look for scripture in the music of worship. So let's do a case study. How did we do today? How did we start off? We started off with the doxology. Got together and together we lift up and gave praise to God, the Father, and the Son. Now with the same words, and we even use the same words that's used by millions of churches today. All across this world, they sing that doxology, and all of that was going up to God. He was probably pleased with that. Then we sang, what did we sing? A thou, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. We were saying to, to one another, let's, let's, let's extol our great Redeemer. Here is the one who has broken the power of cancel sin, why he even atoned for my sin. We're encouraged by the power of the Lord. And then the choir, what did they sing? They sang Isaiah 43. Verses 1 and 2. They sang the words of God. It says, do not be afraid of whatever we face, because he's with us. And then we sang, how firm a foundation. How which is based on the exact same verses that the choir just sang. And so we were affirming here that God is for us. And that led me to pray because of that, uh, because of that choir song, because of the hymn, to make me think, God, you're with us no matter what. We can trust you, whatever fire we go through, whatever flood we go through. So the the singing of the songs led me. I had not prepared what I was going to pray. I was admonished and taught by the singing. And we've got one more song that's coming up next, and we'll close the worship service with, and it's the wonderful words of life. And that's a hymn in which we're going to be saying, 
Yes, we want these wonderful words of Jesus Christ. We want them to be told to us again and again. We can't get enough of it. Keep teaching them to us. It reinforces that message. So we join our voices in worship. Our words encourage one another. We instruct, we admonish one another. I'll tell you, there are times when my faith is shaken. And I'll come to church, and I'm up here in the pulpit, and, I, and I'm down, and, I, and I, I'm wondering, you know, you know, maybe I'm, you know, is all this true? And when we stand and we sing one of the great hymns, I come back to the faith. I'm with my brothers and my sisters, and we're all singing this together. And I go, yes, it's true. I remember now. It's true. This is what I need in. Now, you don't have to wait till Sunday to get that kind of reinforcement. You can listen at home. You can be strengthening your faith whenever and wherever you are through uh, CDs and radio and all these other means. I would encourage you to take advantage of the other times you get together. When you have your home fellowship groups and other small groups, you you know, you always have scripture reading. You always have prayer. Why don't you add uh, teaching through through song and through a hymn or or through a psalm? Why don't you sing the doxology? It can seem strange, you know, particularly if you don't have a good pianist there. You've got to just sing it a cappella and so on. But this is what we used to do. Before the advent of recorded music, people actually gathered together and enjoyed singing with one another. I think I said I had three points. I'm going to slip in one more on you. And it goes back again to about this, the word of Christ. Here's the bottom line of all of this passage. The word of Christ is worth singing about. We have been given the new song of the gospel. What scripture is saying is rejoice in it. Be instructed by it. Be admonished and exhorted by it. Desire that others join you in in, in singing it and celebrating it. You know, this world sings many songs with desperate desire. They're beautiful, moving tunes. And when they sing with those tunes of You know, they think anything can be real. And they sing impossible songs. Songs about impossible romance. Making impossible promises of love that will last through eternity and and whatever. The the sun goes away and all. A song sung just right feels like a religious experience. And for a while in the moment, the person is singing or you're listening to it, all is right. All is right inside you. All is right out there in the world. But then the music ends. And we fall back to all the troubles of the world and that's within ourselves. And the only thing that feels eternal is eternal disappointment. Songs are like drugs that temporarily make us feel good and then the effect goes away. But songs of the word of Christ They spring from the new song of the gospel. And they declare that Christ has won the victory forever and that our place with him truly is forever. And there will be this new heaven and this new earth that goes on forever and we will last forever in his eternal love. The word of Christ is is lasting truth. 
It is rock-solid truth. It is truth worth believing in. It is truth that is worth singing. For this new song is filled with wonderful words of life. Let's pray. We thank you, our God, for the wonderful words of life of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we sing them over and over again. May we hear them over and over again. That we may take delight in our Lord Jesus Christ. That our faith may remain strong. That we may join in that eternal chorus of praise unto our God. In Christ's name, amen. Now let's stand. We'll sing together hymn number 406, Wonderful Words of Life. <laughs>